It's the dictionary. 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 Hello, word nerds. Welcome to another episode of the podcast called The Dictionary. I hope you know that that's what it's called. If you didn't notice from the title, we have yet another guest, a fantastic guest, I'm going to predict. We have today Michael Callahan from the podcast Where We Go Next. Michael, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Spencer. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. What is the temperature like where you are right now? Right now, it is a temperate, let me see here, looking at the, it's 69 degrees, but it's uh, going to be as high as 78 here in Los Angeles. Uh, here in Chicago, it is below freezing. It's like in the mid-20s right now. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm jealous of what you've got over there right now. <laughs> well, you know, while I would not want to be where you are in terms of temperature, it can get a little weird here. Um, I feel like I've had this hypothesis for a while. I feel like Hollywood, I feel like one of the reasons that Hollywood attracts so many aspiring artists and filmmakers and actors, et cetera, and why so many so many people stay here to pursue their dreams long after they should probably have tried something else <laughs> is because there are no seasons. So you yeah. can't really mark time. So all of a sudden you could kind of like blink and 10 years have gone by. You've been auditioning for 10 years or writing that script for 10 years. And because you can't really mark the leaves changing or the seasons coming and going, you don't really realize how long you've been at it until it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Years. Your whole life has gone by. And you have, yeah, like you said, mm -hmm. no no sense of, of time. Uh, we definitely get the seasons here in Chicago. So, um, so yeah, I've heard. We are, we are well into winter already. Um, okay. Who, who is Michael Callahan? Who, where did he come from? How did he get to this point? Let's get a little history of who you are so we know what we're dealing with today. Sure. Well, I came from my mom in early 80s uh just just technically speaking but i'm originally from <laughs> well then i guess we're brothers yeah but uh so no I, I grew up in uh northern california and came to los angeles um to pursue grad school at usc and uh like the many and the brave to pursue the film industry um worked on film sets for several years after going to graduate film school and now i am in um marketing, marketing and advertising, specifically for video games. Oh, and cool. uh, and I started uh, the Where We Go Next podcast in 2020 because I am extremely extroverted and I like talking with people. And I wasn't doing much of that in the fall of 2020. Mm. And so I'd had the idea of wanting to do a podcast for a while. And I think like many people, when you're just kind of left with your thoughts and you're alone with nothing but your dog, and while I love my dog to death, he's not much of a talker, I realized that I, I kind of had to put up or shut up when it came to pursuing a podcast. That's how I got here today. Yeah, that's definitely a good time to do it. Um, any, um, we'll talk about the, the podcast a little bit more in a second. Any other like major highlights throughout your life? Any like, what, what are some like important things we might need to know about, about you? Hmm. Like personal or accomplishments or what, what kind of flavor would you like? You know, traumatic, uh, interesting, <laughs> fun. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> just any fun, Let's it, like sort of big moments in your life. I don't big know. I'm just curious about moments. that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I thought that the school colors, like literally the way that the school, our elementary school was painted was ugly. It was like browns and beiges. And I thought school should be more fun. It should be 
uh, more exciting. It should be more colorful, right? If you want kids to like going to school, your school shouldn't look like a prison or some kind of industrial complex. And our school colors, where I was going, the school was Alisal Elementary School. Our school colors were red and white. And I thought, why not paint the, the, the school those colors? So in order to do that, I went to the uh, school board. Um, I, sp I did public speaking in front of the school board. I made my case. Um, and in order to make my case as strong as possible, before I went in front of the school board, I got I did a petition of all, I think, second, third, fourth, and fifth graders. I was wow. given permission by teachers to go class to class, took weeks to gain all the signatures. And then I took the signatures to the school board. And I said, look, here's the evidence. Uh, all the kids, or at least the kids that I deemed old enough for their opinion to matter. I didn't really care much about <laughs> kindergartners and first graders because they're babies. But they're I, I think I did second through fifth or third through fifth. And I got hundreds of signatures, all backing my proposal. And uh, about a year later, by that time I was in middle school, but my legacy lived on because they repainted the school in red and white. So uh, that was one of my earliest childhood. I think I think you can tell from that age that I wanted to be a director and and work in film and kind of take control. I've always needed kind of healthy outlets in order to um, let out my kind of obsessive compulsive. I need to take charge tendencies. Yeah, uh, and I've <laughs> I've siphoned them off to my professional life so to make my relationships less toxic. But you can see from a very young age that I had that inkling in me. That is, uh, that's amazing. I I love the fact that like a ten year old went ahead and and not only <laughs> did something like that, but figured out how to do something like that and learned how to do something like that and actually had the motivation to do something like that. Uh, that's. That's amazing. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm looking for when I'm like when I meet somebody. It's like, yeah, I want to know like who that that says so much about who you are, and from such a young age too. That's awesome. I I went up against the system, Spencer. You did. It's, you, it's, you it's like Michael the Clayton. System. Yeah, I was the Michael Clayton of ten year olds. <laughs> yeah, uh, both named Michael too. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit about this podcast. I've uh, been listening a little bit to it recently, and I. I'm fascinated by it because what I love is that you, well, first of all, you are very prepared, you are very smart, you are very well-spoken, and you. You, you talk about so many different topics. I've listened to uh, some of the more recent podcasts like um, Aptera, The Electric Car, uh, Stand Up Comedian, uh, what was the one I was listening to today? Oh, oh, I've forgotten it. But there's such a wide range of topics. Um, what what was the what was the the nugget of like where this idea came from and and how has it gone that is a fantastic question i initially started the show in 2020 because there were certain topics that we were talking about as society um whether it came to politics identity race culture um that i felt we were talking about in really uh to use a uh, to hint at the words we're talking about today um in really kind of uh uh, arbitrarily diametrically opposed ways, right? Like there are, there, you are either here or here. You're either good or bad. You were either mm. wholly in this camp or wholly in this camp, right? And I felt frustrated by that because to me, and maybe it's just because of my storytelling background, life has always been more complex than that. One of the best pieces of advice I got from a screenwriting class years ago at USC is that when you're writing your antagonist, right? They don't even like you calling them a villain. When you're writing the antagonist in a screenplay, mm. don't write them like a villain. You need to write every character, including the antagonist in your story, as if they're the hero of their own story, right? Because even right. someone who's done awful things, and history's full of people like that, 
most of them don't think they're doing a bad thing when they're doing it, right? So if you take something like that, you take the most extreme examples from history and you're like, okay, even they didn't think they were the bad guy, even though we now can look back and be like, oh, they did some awful, terrible stuff. If you take that and you apply it to the average person, you know, someone who's not Hitler, who just may, who might vote, who might vote in a way that's maybe opposed to how you vote, you you need, I think it's healthier for society to be able to step back and be like, okay, I might totally disagree with where you're coming from and how you're voting and how you want the country to be run, but we're really going to make any progress. And also it's healthier for our own souls and our own well-being to be able to better understand where the person's actually coming from, the events in their life that led them, led, led them to thinking that way, uh, the reasons they have for doing that. Because if you dig a little deeper, kind of like the question you asked me, Spencer, like, what's my story? Where did I come from? We need that kind of curiosity mm -hmm. when we're talking about other people, especially in a place that can be as contentious as politics, culture, society, and otherwise. And so I, I started the podcast because I wanted to start to kind of have those conversations. But um, almost immediately, after probably after 15 or 20 episodes, kind of because of my nature, I love just starting new things. It's very hard for me to like, I'll put it another way. I could never do your podcast because probably <laughs> a month or two months in, I'd be like, all right. I'm good. All right. I did the dictionary for two months and I, I think I'm over that. Mm. It's just kind of in my nature. I like learning about new things constantly. And if I'm learning yeah. or doing one thing for too long, I get bored and then I get apathetic and then I get lazy. So in some ways I built the podcast as a way to acknowledge that part of myself and also to prevent myself from getting apathetic, lazy and giving it up. Because if my podcast was only about one topic and I have so much praise for people who do that, like yourself or for other people who are like, my podcast is just about sports. My podcast is just about book reviews. Right. I would give that up. I know I can't do it. So I had to kind of craft a podcast that allowed me to go wherever I wanted to go. And so in that way, the podcast title is a bit meta because it's about me and it's about you. Mm. Yeah, I love that because I, I actually do feel the same way. I, I feel like I have I have tried so many different things and, and creative projects and sort of it's all learning about myself and what am I good at and what do I like and... Uh, and actually, I, I would argue back a little bit with this po with my podcast because while it does seem repetitive and it is repetitive, because I'm going through it alphabetically, the topics change every single episode. That's a very good there's point. Always something new to talk about. But at the same time, you know, the the thought does creep in the mind of, oh my God, this is is this really what my life is going to be like for the next <laughs> 10 15 years it's the same thing i have to do this all the time um but but uh but i do love it and um and yeah back to like what you said about the antagonist i, I think about that all the time and i think i've even mentioned it on this show that everybody has their story everybody has a reason of why they are the way they are their life led them to that point for various reasons yes um Absolutely. Oh, and the, the other episode of your show that I was listening to this morning was about fasting, which I think is a fascinating topic. Um, and I, it's something that I think I want to think a little bit more about. Um, not that I'm like particularly overweight anymore. Uh, you know, I don't really have a lot of weight like some people have to lose, but um, I think it's still a good thing to probably put into your life a little bit. So I highly recommend everybody go check out Where We Go Next and let's see where we go next. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, feel free to hit me up if you have any questions about fasting. I, I did my longest fast this year at 21.5 days. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate for it. I mean, obviously, you need to do your research. You should should talk to your doctor first. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of myths about fasting, a lot of misinformation that Steve Hendricks, the author of that book, The Oldest Cure in the World, um, the author I interviewed for that episode, 
he, it's such a great episode because I think it, um, it, it unravels a lot of misinformation about the topic and it's really enlightening in terms of the history of it, where it came from, how many thousands of years it's been practiced by human beings all over the world. Mm. Um, so really fascinating topic. And one more thing, back to your point about, um, your podcast, I recently had on a guest, the episode's not out yet. His name's Pete Davis and he wrote a book called Dedicated and it's really, it's a dedication to the people who make society work. And he calls them long haul heroes. And why he calls them that is the people who run our governments, who put together youth organizations, who do podcasts about a specific topic for a very long period of time. It's people who dedicate themselves to one or a couple tasks for years and years and years, if not decades. Right. Mm -hmm. And his point is that like society requires what he calls long haul heroes in order to function. You can't just have a society full of people who are kind of flitting between this interest and that and spending one year here and one year there working at a company for two years and then moving to another company. A, a, a functioning society needs a foundation of people who are in it for the long haul, who do things not for years, but for decades. And so his book dedicated really kind of rewired my brain to really appreciate people who dedicate themselves to a task for a very long time. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never really thought about that. Um, well, I get. I I am dedicated to this. I truly hope that I can actually get through this whole thing <laughs> before I die. And Spencer, um, do you do you mind uh, just before we get into the words? Do you mind if I ask you a few questions about the podcast? Because I I can't help go but, but go into host mode when I'm doing one of these things. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're about to celebrate your four year anniversary because the Dictionary Podcast began all the way back on January fifth, twenty nineteen, yeah. which is a pretty big milestone, don't you think? Yeah, four years is more is longer than most <laughs> podcasts last. <laughs> oh yeah, you know the average podcast only lasts about fifteen episodes. Oh, so if God. you're past fifteen episodes on any of your podcasts, you're you're in rare company. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pushing fourteen hundred actually. That is that is bananas. Um, <laughs> I you know one question I love asking guests, um, and although I'm a guest on your show, I will ask it to you. What was the inciting incident for the Dictionary Podcast? Because mm. while doing my research, I tried to, I, I was listening to episodes and I tried to find one, and maybe there is one that exists where you kind of explain what it was, what was the event or moment that first got you thinking about starting the show. But since I've got you here, what was that moment? Yeah, um, there. well, now that I think about it, there actually is a relatively recent episode that I think I made public, or maybe it's only on Patreon. My friend Jonah actually interviewed me about the show, um, and I think we talked about it there. But basically, um, I was asked to be a guest on somebody else's podcast, and it, it um, inspired me to actually buy an external recorder, which is sitting right next to me, and an audio recorder. And I had been wanting to get one anyway, but I never really had the, a reason to do it because I just wanted to do audio, record stuff. And once I got it, I thought, well, now that I have it, what am I going to do? Podcasts are a popular thing. I think I can figure out how to do that. Okay, if I'm going to do a podcast, what am I going to do? I know. I'll do something funny, like read the dictionary because that's where my brain goes. There honestly wasn't <laughs> really anything more than that. There was never a thought of oh, I want to read the dictionary because I want to learn things. Like, I, it wasn't even a thought in my head. But then as I got going, I think I was still in the A's. And I was like, wow, this is actually really fascinating and really educational. And I don't have a big vocabulary. And so I'm learning a ton of words. I'm not going to retain most of them, but uh, I'm really, really enjoying this. 
And even if nobody listens to this, this is for myself. And I feel like when I'm done with this show and I'm many decades older, I can look back, I can listen back to all of this and sort of relearn the words again, relearn about maybe who I was at that time. And I don't know, I'm just kind of looking forward to that when I'm like 80 years old and listening to this. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah, I mean, going back to your earliest episodes, the recording quality has improved drastically, drastically since the yes. show first began. <laughs> as have your skills as a presenter and host. So you talk about how you didn't initially conceive of the show as anything more than, I mean, not, not to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. sort of as as anything more than just a fun idea but as you started doing episode after episode you're like oh wow i'm actually learning new words my vocabulary is improving uh, how, are there any other ways in which you've grown as a, a podcaster and a human being in the last four years as a result of running the dictionary podcast yeah i guess i think that to an extent i have become a bit more extroverted i've also been well at a certain point i think i was in the bees when I, th- I decided to do no editing because I was doing quite a bit of editing. I was sort of thinking about what I wanted to say and make sure that I said it in the right way. And then at a certain point, I was like, let's, I'm just going to say whatever comes out and whatever that is, I'm going to put out to the public. And I was afraid of that. Uh, and, and I still am afraid of that. I don't want to say the wrong thing or be disrespectful in any way, but it forces me to do something that I have never done before, which was just just let it loose and and just whatever happens, happens. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that that has sort of changed me. And so maybe partially because of this podcast and also just life in general and my job that um, it's sort of leading me on a path of trying to be a bit more extroverted and being a bit more in front of the camera and the microphone than I was ever used to. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a fun journey. It's been a fun time to sort of evolve and and grow in that way. That's really cool. I, I've experienced something similar with my podcast over the last couple of years in, in terms of the the things that I thought I was prepping and, and learning that I thought were going to be exclusive to the podcast kind of bled out into my day-to-day life yeah. and unexpected and often really um, fun and heartening ways. Like I, I found myself growing as a person outside of the show which I, I guess if you think about it, of course, makes sense. It's not like we're not like plants. It's not like you just grow in one area yeah. and then you don't take that growth anywhere else. But it is interesting to experience it because I think similar to your journey, I, I started the show really as an isolated thing, not thinking that it would affect me in any other way. But of course, in the same way that like if you go to the gym and you're like, all right, I'm just going to work on my biceps. I'm just I want I want my biceps to get bigger. That's my only mission, right? And then you realize, oh, wait, like when I need to lift a heavy object for myself or for a friend, now I can lift that object easier. Or I don't feel as sore when I get out of bed in the morning. There are all these additional benefits to whatever task you're doing that don't seem obvious when you start that task. Yeah. And like you said, with your show, it is obvious when you think about it that it's going to affect you. But I feel like with with yours, especially because you are talking about this wide variety of topics that are big topics with people who are experts in the field. And so that, of course, is going to affect you and you're going to learn something. And, you know, I find that when I do something, when I learn something, it 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 pops up in my life in weird ways. And so, yeah, when you're talking mm-hmm. about things like fasting or electric cars, how, how can that not, you know, be a part of right. your life in some way, especially if you want to get one of those cars? <laughs> Yeah, it's been super fun. 
you know, I guess if I still have time for one or two more questions, I was I was looking back at the the dictionary podcast archives. Your first six weeks of the show, from January fifth through February eighteenth, your releases were more sporadic than mm-hmm. they are now, with an episode usually releasing like every other day or every few days. Yeah. And then after February eighteenth, twenty nineteen, there was a seventeen day gap without any episodes until the show resumed on March eighth. So my first question, Spencer, is what prompted that gap? Yeah. Uh, well, I was only doing them a few days, uh, like two or three times a week, because I was like, oh, that's a fine schedule. And then I quickly realized, no, I'm going to have to do this every day if I want to get through this in a th- decent amount of time. <laughs> um, Before I die. Yeah. Right, right. And the gap was, honestly, um, I got a little worried about copyright issues of mm. reading verbatim what's in the book. And I said, oh, maybe I should stop this. But then I realized... Well, nobody knows about this podcast anyway. I mean, even to this day, there's literally only 50 or 60 people who listen regularly, which is minuscule. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll just start it up again and just see how it goes. So that's that's just what I've been doing ever since then. Huh. Wow. Well, that, the, the your audience size is surprising because I I just I would have assumed based on the quality and consistency of the content that it would be much larger. Yeah, but when you think about the fact when people hear I read the dictionary, their most people's brains are like, oh, gotcha, not something I want to be interested in. I would like to think though that if people actually listen to it, then they might become interested in it. But I know that you know it could be better. I could be more inter. Uh, uh, entertaining, interesting. I could have more guests on, which I think would really up the quality a lot. So I hope someday to actually do that. Uh, but mm. yeah, for now, it's I'm trying to describe it in a way of, to people that makes it sound more fun. But you know, reading the dictionary is not the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> True, but I would say um, that there is a whole genre of like videos on YouTube, for instance, um, in which you're just watching. Have you have you seen um what is the name of that show? Uh Primitive Technology. Have you seen Primitive Technology on YouTube? Oh yes. I have watched a couple of those. Those are fascinating. Right. And you would think that from the description, it's uh, a shirtless dude in the um <laughs> in the- outback of Australia chopping down trees and making primitive tools and then using those primitive tools to make primitive like huts or mm-hmm. primitive bows and arrows. Without any music, without any dialogue, he never speaks. Um, it's complete silence, except for the sounds of his chopping and, and weaving and making things. Mm-hmm. You would think from the description, you're like, why would anyone watch this? But his videos have millions of views. So just as a counterpoint to what you're saying, I, I wouldn't underestimate the value and appeal of something that can seem mundane or or ordinary. I think that there's a comfort in that for a lot of people. So don't sell, don't sell yourself too short. Oh yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I I definitely think this is the best podcast ever. It's just that other people don't <laughs> see it that way. <laughs> um, well, and to that, Spencer, I say, word, word up. Well, on that note, <laughs> let's get into the words. Um, of course, we have we have both seen these ahead of time, but um, I have not read any definitions. I have only read them to make sure that I can pronounce them correctly, which I probably will still mess up at some point. So. Our first word in this episode, the beginning of page 345, we have dial tone. This is two words. This, I, I think this is a sound that I don't really hear anymore. I used to hear it a lot in my first 20, 20 30 years of my life, but not anymore. Mm. 
It is a noun from 1923. A tone emitted by a telephone as a signal that the system is ready for dialing. Yeah, it, you know, this growing up in the 80s, the 90s, this is what you heard. You picked up your phone. It was a, probably either attached to a wall or even a cordless phone, but no cell phones. And you pick it up and you hear a dial tone to tell you, okay, now you can start a thing. If you don't hear the dial tone, something's wrong or something's on, somebody's on the line already. True. And, and, and how many horror movies use that very trope? You know, they think that they're connected to the police and then all of a sudden the call goes out and the dial tone replaces the yeah. sound of the police officer answering your call and you know something's amiss. Right. If there's no dial tone, something's wrong. I was just, what, I don't remember what I was watching. Literally in the last couple of days, I was watching something and somebody's on the phone, they're on a, the cell phone and you hear a click. And I was thinking in my head, it had nothing to do with dial tone, but I was like, that sounds like somebody's setting down a phone, they're hanging up a phone not a mm-hmm. cell phone, but an actual right. phone, uh, a telephone. I don't know what other way to describe that. And I thought that, I feel like they needed to put that sound effect in for the listener or the viewer to know, okay, they've hung up the phone. Oh, I think it was the, no, it wasn't that. Anyway, I thought in this day and age of cell phones, you, you don't hear that sound anymore. I mean, you can click and then it, it ends, but there's there's not there's not that like kachunk sound that we used to hear next to that dial tone. That's very true. And you know, while I was uh, excitedly waiting for this recording, I decided to do a little bit of investigation into the history of the dial tone. Ooh, I want to hear it now. While the dial tone dates further back than 1919, in order to preserve my sanity and my time, I kept my research to the U.S. only. And in 1919, that was the first year that an American telephone company employed a dial tone. It was first employed here by the Bell System, which at the time had a near monopoly on the telecommunications industry from its founding in 1877 until its antitrust breakup in 1983. Before 1919, the company used what were known as Hello Girls, who would connect one line to another at central switchboards. You know, you'd pick up the phone, you'd you're a nice lady on the other end, and she would connect you to who you wanted to talk to. But once Bell began using automated dialing, in which a customer could simply dial the number they wanted to call and be connected without human assistance, they would sometimes begin dialing too quickly, and not all of their number entries would be recorded, which resulted in a wrong number and a frustrated customer. So by instituting a dial tone and instructing customers to hold until they heard the sound, the problem was solved. That's fascinating. And, you know, back then, 1919 in the 20s and the 30s, I mean, they had, well, I'm trying to think, they didn't even have a way to dial in a lot of those it, during that time. You know, it's just you pick up the little horn. But yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, man, I wonder, I wonder if the dial tone sound changed. If I can find an example of what the dial tone sounded like over the decades, I think I may, I may have to put that in here somewhere because... I can't imagine that it stayed the same over, what, a hundred years? Hmm. I'm not sure if it stayed the same, but all the research that I did about dial tone frequencies suggests that the dial tone, at least as far as we know, is made up of two frequencies, 350 hertz and 440 hertz. And when you sound them simultaneously, these frequencies match two musical keys, F and A above middle C when played on either a keyboard or a piano, mm-hmm. which means, Spencer, if you're a skilled musician, you can use the dial tone to tune an instrument. I feel like I have heard that somewhere, but I didn't know it. So 
it's it's F and A basically. Those are the two. Uh, F is one, and then the other one is A above middle C. Yeah. Ooh. All right. How can we use that? I don't know if you know this. I learned this in high school uh, that if you are on a a non rotary phone, you know, a, a phone with the buttons, that you can actually fake a rotary phone if you if you want to dial uh three for instance you could hit the button the um the the click one the one that you hang up with you can click it three times very quickly and that will dial a three which i think is essentially what the rotary phones were doing is that when you dial Uh. a three it would go click 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 and i it worked i i made many phone calls in high school with this method it's incredibly uh slow (laughs) and tedious but but it does work yeah, you got to live the life of someone from the 1920s, just right. for a moment. Exactly. Um, oh, I, th- I think we're going to move on to the next word, unless you have any other uh, tidbits about dial tone. <laughs> I've exhausted all my dial tone tidbits. I may need you to send me your links, because I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes if people want to go learn more about dial tones. Yeah, you've got it. Happy to share. Um, do, do you, as you may or may not know, I make a sound effect after each word. Do you have one in mind? Do you like a sound effect? Uh, a, Ooh, that's a good a question. Sound? Do you have any requests? No, my brain is like tapped out with sound effects after doing this <laughs> hundreds of times. Um, let's see. So we could either do sound effect that sounds like not a human voice, or if you want me to do a human voice that says something that takes us to the next round or the next word, I can do either one. Anything, whatever, whatever pops in your head. Okay, let me think here. I knew that you were going to ask this, and yet I didn't prepare for it. So this is coming totally off the top of my noggin. But okay, I think I've got one. Go for it. Wow, I love it. That's a good one. The next word is dial up. Uh, this is two words with a hyphen adjective from 1961, relating to or being. A standard telephone line used for computer communications, also accessible via a standard telephone line, as in a dial-up internet provider, which I feel like is something that largely does not exist anymore, but definitely existed as we were growing up. How can you... uh, In 1961, this is what I love hearing about. You learn about the internet was way before the you know early mid 90s when it became uh more popular but everybody could sort of get it and afford it but it goes way back into the early 60s yeah yeah no i mean it's surprising how old the internet you know if you expand that term to in- include things like user boards and usenet and stuff like that it goes back quite quite a long time i mean it started in in academia which then spread to the government and then it eventually became uh used in in commercial use for customers like us. It definitely feels like this episode is a bit of a blast from the past for Mm. the two of us, considering that we grew up on dial tones and dial ups, don't you think? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, the kids today, (laughs) they, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't know about the dial up. I mean, I think they've heard the the sound. I think I had one word either in the D's or the C's where I played the actual dial up sound. Uh, but I may have to put another clip of that in here somewhere. Uh, you know, you if you only had one line in your house and you wanted to get on the internet, you your your phone system was unusable if you were on the internet. If you were getting your your IMs from AOL or something, 
um, and you had to wait. You had to wait until it connected, and sometimes it didn't connect. And then if somebody called, it would disconnect you, and it was very disappointing sometimes and slow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember it was a big moment for me when I was able to convince my parents to get a second phone line exclusively for the computer. Mm -hmm. And similarly to <laughs> convincing the school board to change their school colors, I gave a really impassioned and researched pitch as to why they should have a second phone line. Did and uh, ultimately, I won. Of course. They were like, well, this is the way this is going. <laughs> Did you have to petition, uh, get petitions signed by anybody for that one? I think between my sister and I, um, our two petitions were enough. Thank goodness. And one, I also kind of pitched it to my dad and mom. It's like, hey, wouldn't you want to be able to be on the inter internet doing research or doing something and still be able to receive a phone call? It's, you know, the internet's just not for your troublesome children who were on Prodigy for a few hours too long. It could be for you as, you as well. Yes. Adults can enjoy this as much as kids can. And, you know, I was doing some research into dial-up internet. And dial-up internet for commercial use was first made available in the U.S. by Sprint in 1992. At that point, Spencer, less than 2% of the U.S. was getting online. That number jumped by uh, to 10% in 1995 and was at still a rather low 43% by the year 2000. And as of 2017, which was the most recent data I was able to find, there were, there were still nearly a million people around the world using dial-up internet. That is not at all surprising. You know, I think about other countries in the world, you know, places, quote unquote, developing countries, you know, they're not going to have the systems in place to have high speed Internet. So, yeah, I'm not at all surprised that there are still places that are using dial up. I feel very bad for them. And speaking of antiquated sounds, this I found a, a gold mine for you and your listeners. It's called the Museum of Endangered Sounds. Ooh. And you can listen to the sound of a dial-up modem and many other endangered sounds at savethesounds.info. Other sounds you can hear there are the voice of the lady who gave the time when you dialed popcorn on the phone, the sound of a Wait, movie sorry, countdown hold on. on a... Dialed popcorn on the phone? Yeah, aren't, you're not familiar with popcorn? I don't know if I am. Unless I've completely oh blocked this. Wait, explain <laughs> this briefly to me. Sure. If you dial the numbers that, you know, on, on those old... Uh, handsets from the 90s that we grew up on you know the, the numbers would have letters yeah. um underneath them you know like each each number would have three letters if you dialed the letters that corresponded to the word popcorn p-o-p-c-o-r-n you would get a, a, a an automated recording of a woman saying good afternoon afternoon pacific daylight time will be 12 38 and 50 seconds and then the tone would go and you're like okay it's 11 15 okay I knew about that. I knew about we've. I've definitely called you know the time thing, which I think my parents had in a Rolodex. I had no idea that it spelled popcorn. Okay, <laughs> well, I learned now. Something you new. know. <laughs> okay, so what are what are some other sounds on that website? Uh, the movie countdown on, on a film projector. How that sounds. Ooh, nice. The beeps and the clicks. The sound of a Nintendo cartridge being inserted and removed from an NES and the sound of someone blowing into the cartridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, another sound is the sound of a dot matrix printer. Yeah. And many more. There are dozens of sounds that will... will Strike nostalgic for probably a, a decent amount of your listeners and to maybe some of your listeners will sound totally foreign and you're, they won't be able to connect to them at all. That's exactly. I want to hear if anybody hears these sounds, uh, I might put some of them in this episode. If you hear these sounds and this is totally new to you, I want to hear what you have to say about it. Email 
all those all those ways of contacting me. So, and I will also <laughs> obviously obviously put that um, that link in the show notes. And you know, you're you're getting lots of good information from Michael with all this research that he's doing. So, if you really like to hear more about well investigated topics, go check out his podcast. Where we go next, and make sure to go to savethesounds.info to listen to the sound of the woman who who would. Tell you the time when you dialed popcorn. Yeah. There was also, uh, what was the other sound? I, I'm sure this is on there. Um, that number is disconnected or please hang up and mm. try again. There's a, a yeah. variety of those. Yes. There were so many nice automated ladies who would who would helpfully guide you through the emerging technological landscape back then. Who have been lost to time, but not from this website. The, the website is saving <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> could you please do that sound effect again? Ooh. Wow. I think that sound effect is going to need to be put on that website, too. I'm also uh, mildly scaring my dog every time I make that sound. (laughs) He keeps looking at me like there's something wrong with me, and I don't blame him. I I don't blame him either. It's not normal. The next word in this episode is dialysate. Dialysate or dialysate, S or Z sound. This one is spelled D-I-A-L-Y-S-A-T-E. Um, you could also spell it, uh, oh, you could also spell it with a Z instead of an S. Noun from circa 1867. This is the material that passes through the membrane in dialysis. And we are going to learn quite a lot more about dialysis, which I, I only know the very, very basics of dialysis. So this is going to be interesting. But this is, there's material that passes through the membrane I'm sure there are different kinds of membranes, but I know it has to do with blood, and so maybe it's the blood vessels, um, and this stuff has a name, dialysate. Do you know anything about this stuff? Not dialysate uh, explicitly, but I saved all of my research for dialysis, which I'm excited about. Perfect. We are going to get to that shortly. Before that word, though, we have to go, wee <laughs> The next word is dialyze or dialyzer. This is spelled with an S because it is the chiefly British variation of dialyze or dialyzer spelled with a Z, and we are going to get to that in a little bit. But before that one, we have the biggie. Can you please make that sound mm. effect? Ooh-wow! I, I, I did change it up a little bit. I couldn't remember. Uh, does this sound I like your variation. Name? Oh, thank you. Uh, d- d- do you have a name for this sound? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, no, I don't. And I'm not going to name it intentionally because like some of the sounds in the museums of sound of endangered sounds, a lot of those sounds didn't have names, but they evoke a feeling, a memory. So my hope is that years from now, when you're remembering this podcast episode, Spencer, or whoever's listening to this, you don't know what the name of the sound I made is, but you remember how it made you feel. It makes me feel very nice, but everybody is going to have, <laughs> uh, you know, different emotions that they put to it. Yes, you and my dog are diametrically opposed in your feelings. <laughs> yeah, your your dog will does not want to hear this sound anymore, but unfortunately that is not going to be the case for the next 30 minutes to an hour. <laughs> the next word is dialysis. Noun from, uh, where's the year? 1861. And the plural is dialyses. It's not dialysises, it's dialyses. Number one. Yes, not to be confused with Dialysis, who was a group of sisters who performed dialysis for decades. 
Yes. That's fake. I don't know. I pulled that out of nowhere. Good That's nurses. exactly what we're looking for here. Fake information. I do that the all the time. Sisters. The Dialysis Sisters. Ooh, maybe that should be like a, a band name or something. That'd be good. That'd be good. They're here for blood. <laughs> They're coming to get it and then clean it and then put it back in. <laughs> all right. Number one for dialysis, the separation of substances in solution by means of their unequal diffusion through semi-permeable membranes, especially such a separation of colloids from soluble substances. And, you know, that's... Spencer. Yes. How does semi-permeable membrane make you feel when you hear it? It makes me feel like I want to go, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Semi- it makes me... Go ahead. Makes me uncomfortable. Don't you think? A little bit, yeah. It's um, I'm not, I'm not really sure how I feel about semi-permeable membranes, but I do know that dialysates are part of the substances that permeate between those membranes, whatever those are. And yeah, I don't know. It doesn't explain what these membranes are exactly or where these are, but maybe the number two definition will help us a little bit more. We have number two, the process of removing blood from an artery, as of a kidney patient, purifying it by dialysis, adding vital substances, and returning it to a vein. And this is called also hemodialysis, because hemo is the prefix that means blood, and so this is specifically dialysis about blood. And dialytic is an adjective. So what I didn't realize is that there is the process of dialysis, which is literally just that number one definition about things going between these membranes and, and separating of colloids. But the dialysis that I always thought of is specifically about the blood for kidney patients. But it's actually a bigger thing that doesn't specifically have to be about essentially cleaning the blood. Um, real quick, I will say the etymology, but I know that you have some fascinating information, so you will educate <laughs> me real good. Um, this is a Greek word, which means separation. So right there, it's very obvious what this is all about, um, which is from dialene, which means to dissolve, from dia, plus lying, which means to loosen. That's interesting. And there's more at the word lose, L-O-S-E. So what do you got for me? Well, like dial tone and dial up, I do have a personal connection to dialysis because my grandfather was on dialysis in the last half decade of his life because of diabetes. Mm. Dr. William Kolf, who was a Dutch physician, constructed the first dialyzer or artificial kidney in 1943. And he's considered by many to be the quote, father of dialysis. In the late 1930s, he was working in a small hospital ward in the Netherlands where he watched a young man die slowly and painfully of kidney failure. And that's when he started to dedicate himself to trying to figure out how could I save the life of someone who's suffering from this terrible disease, this terrible ailment. But when the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, Kolf was sent to work in a remote hospital with little access to professional materials. But much like MacGyver, he improvised his first dialysis prototypes using items he had at hand, which included sausage skins, orange juice cans, and even a washing machine. By 1943, he had completed construction of his first, quote, artificial kidney, but the 16 patients he treated over the next two years all saw little success. But in 1945, he treated a 67-year-old woman who was in a coma due to kidney failure, 
And after 11 hours of treatment by Kolf's machine, she regained consciousness and lived for another seven years, eventually dying from a different ailment. It's it's stunning to me. And I see examples of this all the time that there are people who are so smart... (laughs) They can figure out how to do something like this. I would have no idea where to begin. Clearly, I didn't go to medical school or anything like that. I don't have medical knowledge. But I just find it amazing and heartening that there are people who know how to figure out something like this and who obviously care so much uh, to help somebody and to, to figure out a way to clean their blood or figure out what can we do. I mean... I don't know if they how much they knew about why or how the kidney wasn't working or what needed to happen with the blood, but clearly they knew the kidney wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, and we need to figure out a way to help these people. And it's 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 an amazing invention. Um, from what I understand, these days at least, I don't think there's any washing machines or sausage sausage skins involved. Um, they <laughs> they hook up something to one arm. That, that takes the blood out, it goes through a machine, and then it puts it back in maybe in the other arm or something like that. And, you know, yeah, people sit there for a while. And there's even some places just down the street from me that, that do this. And, you know, clearly, if it's a if it's a chronic ailment, it's not necessarily going to help forever, but it's, it's going to allow somebody to live probably for years on end. I mean, you said your grandfather lived for, a, what, five years he went through this? Yes. And that's the difference of, you know, being able to go to your kid's wedding or something like that, seeing the birth of a, of a grandchild. That's it's amazing. And I'm 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 just so happy that we have something like this. You know, people before 1945, 19, the late 30s, they didn't have this. Um, yeah, that's it's it's pretty amazing. And um, I just don't I don't understand it. No, I do understand it. It's basically like we figured out it's uh, it's dissolving things, separating things. It's doing the job of the kidney, basically, which is the the natural system to clean out the the liquids, the blood in your body to, you know, then expel it out through your urine. Yes. To an earlier point you made, one of the most terrifying things to think about, if you think about it for even more than a few seconds, <laughs> is that it really, if like 1% uh, of the human population were to just suddenly disappear or die, mm-hmm. like in a specific 1%, the 1% of people who invent and do stuff like uh, Dr. Kolf was doing, uh, the world would basically fall apart within a matter of weeks. Because just as an example, I flip my light switch on and off every day. um, And I have no idea how it works. But I know that when I flip the switch on, there's light in my living room. And when I turn it off, the light is gone. But if someone asked me like, all right, how does it work? How would you make it? How would you fix it? I'd be like, I have no idea. And that's pretty much 99.99999% of society for me. I have no idea how anything works. I just know that it works and there are smart people out there doing all that stuff. But if like that 1% of people who really invented everything that we have come to know and love and depend on today all just suddenly vanished, the world would would get pretty apocalyptic, pretty Mad Max, pretty quick. Very quickly. And you know, even if it wasn't a quick change, it would have effects for decades upon decades uh, because yeah, it's like, what what are we missing out on that hasn't been invented yet, or that you know people are doing things now to help society? Um, yeah, it's th- thank God that the one percent one percent of people aren't leaving anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got to keep them here. We can't let them leave to Mars. Exactly. 
Um, anything else about dialysis? I'm tapped out. I've been pretty much bled dry. Ooh, nice. Well, we do have a couple more dialysis-related words, like the next one. Wow! Dialyze. This is a verb from 1861, starting with transitive to subject to dialysis. So that's when you are you are dialyzing no dialyzing a person um, with a dialysis machine, not a washing machine. And then the intransitive says to undergo dialysis. So the transitive is for the person who is, you know, it's the it's the doctor, it's the nurse, nurse practitioner, whoever it is, they're doing the dialyzing. And then the, the patient is the one who is also dialyzing, but they're undergoing dialysis in an intransitive way. Wow, I said that terribly. That's okay. Dialyzable is an adjective. I guess a person who has... Uh, kidney failure or diabetes, they would be dialyzable theoretically. Mm. You know, what I'm thinking about here is I wonder if Dr. William Kolf appreciated the humor in using pieces of a washing machine to make his first dialysis machine because a dialysis machine cleans blood. Yeah, it's like because the, the washing machine cle- cleans your clothes. It's loosening up all the, the dirty, nasty particles um, I mean, maybe that's why he chose the washing machine in the first place. Hey, it cleans things. Maybe it can clean blood. <laughs> I still can't get over the dia, di, no, the, the dialysis sisters, dialysis sisters. There we go. <laughs> the dialysis sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. The bloody good time. Ooh, yeah. Oh, you, you, you keep on, you keep on bringing them. Uh, can you bring a sound effect, please? Wow. The next word is dialyzer, noun from 1861. Uh, and I, I didn't even think about this. This is an apparatus in which dialysis is carried out. So this is from 1861. What? Yeah, I need more info on that. How could that be so long ago? Right. What What was... Well, I guess, you know, if we look back to the number one definition for dialysis, it's just the process of separation of substances in solution by means of their unequal uh... diffusion through blah, blah, blah. So I guess... You know, it's not related yeah. to blood necessarily, but there is this overarching t- process of dialysis. So I will have to put a link in the show notes that talks about just the general idea of that. And what the hell is this dialyzer from 1861? Well, I could imagine, I mean, that, that, that was the kind of beginnings of modern science in the West. Mm. So I could see how like a chemist or someone working in some kind of science-related field might want to separate a compound or separate a liquid into two distinct parts. Yeah, definitely. They're they're experimenting with lots of different things back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I learned a lot about the uh, truly horrific and appalling nature of what was considered, quote-unquote, science back in the 19th century um, when I was reading Steve Hendricks' book about fasting. Mm. I mean, a lot of the things that people were doing back then that they thought were going to cure you uh, like bloodletting, for instance. Yeah. Um, George Washington's uh, a- after he retired from the presidency, his um, like top surgeon, who was uh, the Surgeon General um, of the United States, I believe at the time, or at one point had been one. Uh, George Washington came down with an ailment. I can't remember exactly. I'd have to go back and check my notes. But they ble- they basically bloodlet him to death. Um, and this whole idea that like. Uh, letting someone's blood out by bloodletting them you'd let the poison out of their blood um it, it doesn't actually like work at all but the whole but the 
But the leading practitioners of it believed that bloodletting was successful and it was something that uh, that could work for really anybody. And that whenever anyone would die from being bloodlet to death, it was just that they couldn't they weren't savable. It wasn't it wasn't counterfactual evidence to mm -hmm. the fact that bloodletting was BS. It was just, oh well, you know, we did we did this clearly great technique and they still died. So it was like a confirmation bias that was baked into the system. Every person who was who managed to survive being bloodlet, which was like a uh, <laughs> already a uh, Herculean task, um, was confirmation that bloodletting worked. And everyone who died from bloodletting, like uh, former President George Washington, was just someone who couldn't be saved. And there was stuff like that all over medicine at the time. Basically, anything that proved what you already believed to be true was considered. Uh, good evidence and everything that disproved what you already thought to be true was considered bad evidence. So it was really hard to disprove something, even if it was total hooey. Right. Uh, have you ever heard of the podcast Weirdest Thing I Learned? It rings a bell, but I've never heard. I've never listened to it. They have many, many, many stories like the one that you just told. In fact, I think they specifically have told that George Washington story on there. It's basically weird science things from either now or history or anything. And so they they talk a lot about how you know, 1800s, early 1900s, and even before that, all of the crazy, crazy medical science things that they used to do um, because they just didn't know. Um, it, it's a fascinating uh, podcast, and I've learned a lot of weird facts. <laughs> it sounds like oh, a great one. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, okay, we have to, we have a, uh, another word. Wow! This is the word diam, D-I-A-M. It is an abbreviation for diameter, which is going to come up in this episode a little bit later. But before that, we have to have Michael say the sound effect. Wow! Diamagnetic is the next word. And um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. We have, um, there's a dia prefix that means across or through and so I'm just going to guess that this is something about mag magnetism going across or through things. Let's find out. It is an adjective from 1846 having a magnetic permeability less than that of a vacuum and then also slightly repelled by a magnet. I've got some interesting facts about diagmagnetic. It's a, it was a fascinating topic to research. I, it sounds fascinating. So, um, real quick, the vacuum, it's not the machine vacuum that we think of to clean your floors. This is, I, I assume, this is, you know, of the vacuum of space, or you can create a vacuum by pulling out all of the, the air and everything in it. So, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it a little bit. It's having a magnetic permeability less than that of a vacuum. So, a vacuum, I guess, has some level of magnetism through it or the or magnets can go through a vacuum but this is even less than that so what what research have you done so you were on to something with um your investigation of diameter because it is related so unlike paramagnetic and ferromagnetic materials which are attracted by a magnetic mag magnetic field diametic materials are repelled by a magnetic field so hmm. you can trace the etymology of diametic to diametrical which is a word that dates to the 1550s and means, quote, of or pertaining to a diameter, end quote. So when you say like diametrically opposed and the word diametrically dates back to the 1630s, 
you're saying that because the points at opposite ends of a diameter can't be further apart from one another than they already are, it means when you're diametrically opposed to someone's views, you're as opposed to it as you possibly can be. Yeah. You're practically pushing yourself away from that view, like a diamagnetic uh, material. So uh, a diamagnetic material is opposed to a magnetic field. The closer it gets to it, the further it pushes itself away. Similar to how you have a diametrically opposed view to someone, you're so opposed to them that you're practically pushing yourself from them. And it traces again itself back to diameter because if you take a line and, and put it through a circle, both ends of those circles at the end of the diameter are the furthest points in the circle. That's just a little tease of what we're going to come up with, uh, or we're going to talk about in a little <laughs> bit the, with the word diameter. So, so diamagnetic. So it's magnetic. Obviously, is when people when things are attracted to each other. You got you know two pieces of metal, you know, a magnet on your fridge, but this is when they're repelled. So, okay. So when you take like two horseshoe mag uh, or any any sort of magnet magnets, they have a north pole and a south pole, and if you put I think it's the two north poles together, they push each other apart. So would those maybe you don't know would those be considered diamagnetic? I believe so. My my research did say that diamagnetic diamagnetic um, is is a property in certain materials. Now mm. whether those materials uh, interact when you take those horseshoe magnets against one another. Um, that's a good question. I, the, a question I don't know the answer to, but I do know that materials that are magnetic are, are, um, sectioned off into certain categories. They can either be paramagnetic and ferromagnetic, which are different types of materials that attract to a magnetic field or diamagnetic, which is a material that repels. It's so fascinating. We are definitely going to put a link in the show notes to learn more about diamagnetic. Never heard of this one. I mean, I haven't heard of paramagnetic or ferromagnetic, <laughs> you know, those specific words, but I do know that there are things that are, you know, magnetic. Oh, and I missed uh, diamagnetism. That is a noun, diamagnetism. I like it. Wow. The next word. I do love this sound effect. It's very simple. Um, it's a good one. The next word is diamante. Diamante. And this is spelled D-I-A-M-A-N-T-E. And the E has an accent which goes boop. And um, I just learned that that accent, this very specific accent, is called an acute accent, which is a diacritic. Uh, five or so episodes ago, we had the word diacritic, and that's all about various accents and marks on letters to tell you how to pronounce it. Okay, so diamante is a noun from 1904. And this is a sparkling decoration as of sequins or material decorated with this, as in a gown trimmed with diamante. This is a French word, if you couldn't tell, which basically means like a diamond. Like a diamond, which is from a diamant, which means diamond. So yeah, it's, you know, it's just all about sparkling like a diamond. Did you do research on this one? A little bit. Um, you've covered a decent chunk of it. Um, it's also the Italian word for diamond. In Italian, it's pronounced diamante. Mm. The accents over the mon instead of the te. Ah. Um, and both the English word diamond and the and the Italian word diamante can be traced to the Latin diamus, and that can be traced to the Greek word adamans, which means invincible. Oh. And so, of course, because diamonds are very hard to destroy, it makes sense that it traces back to a Greek word that means invincible. That's excellent, and. I'm realizing that what you are bringing to the show today is exactly what 
I should be doing with every episode. I should be doing research on every single word so I can add some more information. Uh, and unfortunately, I just don't have the time to do that for every single episode. I barely have enough time just to record them, let alone research. But this is a little, maybe a little taste of what people might get with this show years from now when I can actually do that. <laughs> or also just bring you back on all the time. Hey, I'd love to come back. And, you know, again, I say... Don't be too hard on yourself, Spencer. As someone who releases a podcast every two weeks, the fact that you're releasing a 30-minute podcast every single day for years, I mean, that in and of itself is really impressive to me as a fellow podcaster who does it once every 14 days, not once a day. So, you know, I would just uh, go a little easy. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not uh, I'm not going to stress <laughs> about it for sure. Um, yeah, back in the day, they used to be like 10 minutes. And yeah, they're pretty consistently around the half hour mark now. By the way, what what caused you to go from like the five to 10 minute episodes from 2019 all the way into half hour episodes? What was the cause of that leap in time? Yeah, that was really just about um, just talking about the words more. Uh, when I first started, I was just reading the words, the definitions and just moving on to the next one. And I, as time went on, I just started to just uh, just add more information, partly for myself to just to explain things and figure them out, um, but also just to talk about my personal feelings about a thing, if I had a story, uh, and it just sort of has grown over time. Um, I think I think half hour might be about the limit that I could go by myself, but obviously when I have a guest on, all bets are off. Yeah, I've noticed we, we, we've doubled your average time, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the guest's episodes are, I think, far more interesting um, because there's just so much more to talk about. Um, yes, I, and by the way, I, I, I really enjoyed... Um, your episodes with with Aaron and Lindsay, oh. who I know from the Human Values uh, podcast, and uh, and they're great. You you do really well with guests, and and they were really enjoyable. Yeah, they were both fantastic, uh, and I'm glad that they were able to uh, connect me with you. Um, and hey, let's just keep this the the ball rolling with like you you guide me to another podcast host, and we'll just we'll just keep on going like that. Sounds like a plan. Um, I think on social media, I may have to post a picture of something uh, that is Diamante. Or Diamante, because, you know, who doesn't want to look at something sparkly? Yes. And did you know um, that one of the very first uh, films in the late 19th, uh, early 20th century um, was actually uh, featured dresses uh, that were, um, I guess you could say, covered in Diamante? And that, um, even though before uh, editing was invented in the late, in, in like, I think 1908 or 1909, that was technically the first film that was shot in sequence. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> that so was... I made all that up. None of that's none of that's real. But I really wanted to do a, a pun about sequence and sequence. That that was that was gold. Ooh, sparkly gold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, One of the reasons I love guesting on other podcasts is that I don't get a chance to let my punnier side out mm. in my own. So when I was on the Human Values Pod or when I'm on this one, I just let that flag fly. Um, what was one of the questions that you had on the the Human Values Pod? Ooh, that was a good one. Um, the one that comes to mind out of the three that I was asked was, how much would it cost for you to spend a year in a zombie themed survival video game? Ooh, what would you remember your 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 cost, your price? It was like, I, I think I'm one of the, I like looking at other episodes. I think I'm one of the greediest guests in terms of how much I was charging for all the tasks that I was asked to do. You're just realistic. Um, like, 
Yeah. Like a friend of mine and, and four-time guest of, of my podcast, Jay Shapiro, he's a documentarian and, and uh, philosopher. His numbers on the, on the Human Values Pod were like really low. I think it was like a total of $75 million or something. And then my grand total was like 1.2 billion. Oh, wonderful. So I, <laughs> because I'm just thinking, I'm like, oh, this is an inconvenience. If I'm going to do it, just pay me. I think the zombie one might've been 500 million or something like that. Cause it's like a year of my life. Just, it, I don't care if the, if I'm in a zombie video game, but it's a year of my life that I'm not going to get back. So that's how I thought about it. Yeah. Um, at some point, probably next year, I'm going to get on that podcast, whether they like it or not. I, I can't wait to see what they come <laughs> up with. I'd love that. Um, uh, please, please sound effect time. Wow. What did your dog do? Is, has your dog gotten bored of it yet? You know, he's still sleeping. So oh, it, it means, and this was the first time he didn't react to it. So I think he's just, as far as he's concerned, he might think that I'm going to be doing this noise for the rest of his life. This right. could just be his new normal. And I think he's acclimated to it. Yeah, he's like, oh, every 10 minutes, this weird sound is going to happen, and I just have to live with it. Our next word is diameter. Noun from the 14th century. Number one, a cord passing through the center of a figure or body. So, I mean, I guess technically if there was something going from, like, your head to your feet, it would be a diameter or any other body. Number two, the length of a straight line through the center of of an object three a unit of enlargement used with a number to indicate magnification by a lens or optical system as in an object one millimeter wide magnified 40 diameters appears 40 millimeters wide Mm. and dia no how do you say this word diametral diametral is an adjective Something that's like a diameter. Uh, Real quick, we'll say the etymology, which is from the Latin diametros, which is from the Greek word, which looks to be the same, which is dia plus metron, which means measure. Hmm, like you're measuring a length. And there's more at the word measure. But clearly, Michael has more information about diameter. You've actually shared most of the information I looked up for this one. (laughs) Um, which was the the Latin and Greek um, original words. But diameter, um, as we pronounce it here in English, comes from the old French diamet, which of course then traces back to Latin, which traces back to Greek. Right, right. Um, so there's, it's it's the, you know, when I think of diameter, I always think of a circle. What's the diameter of the circle? It's from the two farthest points that we talked about before. Um, but... It's not necessarily about a circle. It's just something that's going through the center of an object. Um, and I do think center is important because if it's not through the center of a circle or whatever the object is, it's it's not considered a diameter because it's not they're not diametrically opposed, the two points. It's um it's just a, a line or or some other sort of plane. Um I do think this number three one is interesting. Um, it's about magnification, so it's a unit of enlargement used with a number to indicate magnific- magnification by a lens. So if something's one millimeter wide and it, it's magnified by 40 diameters, then it appears 40 millimeters wide. So it's, I don't know, I don't really know where my brain is going with that, but I just think it's an interesting concept with lenses and magnification. I just think that's cool. It is cool. Yeah, no, I, I, 
after I stopped taking geometry in high school, yeah. my knowledge of things like diameter dried up pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, I think it's. I think there's a lot of kids today who, if if you said to them, "What is the diameter of a circle or something," they may not know what a diameter is. I think there's a lot of people who just don't sort of have that what I consider to be basic knowledge. But and and of course, the half a diameter is the radius. Again, a lot of people don't don't know those things, but that's okay. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Is it okay, Spencer? It is. Is it okay if a lot of people don't even know what the word diameter means? I feel like, you know, I don't think that everyone needs to know advanced calculus, but I do think as a society, just to push back just a bit, yeah, we should strive for, you know, children who are, let's say, 13 or 14 years old to at least know what diameter means, right? I do agree. I Yeah, I think that there is a, <laughs> a, a, some basic level of knowledge of things Um and uh, yeah, we, we've been seeing a bit of a decline in education, oh, yeah. I feel like. And uh, yes. it, it is it is very I, sad. I think we've reached that phase in our lives. Speak, you know, I think some of this episode is just talking about how old you and I are. I think we've reached that phase in our lives where we're, we're complaining about kids these days. Oh, I've been complaining about it for a long time. And it <laughs> makes me feel even older than I already feel. <laughs> sad. Breach it. Um, the next word. Wow. Diametric. Or diametrical. Adjective from 1553. Number one, of relating to or constituting a diameter or also located at the diameter. Number two, completely opposed or also being at opposite extremes, as in, in diametrical contradiction to his claims. And diametrically is an adverb. So, yeah, I mean, we kind of already talked about this, but, yeah, it's the idea of just being as far apart as you possibly could, essentially. Yeah, no, I mean, these words are basically old hat to you and I now. We, it feels like we've tread through this field for a while. I mean, I would say that we're almost diametric, and I can't even think of it. <laughs> I was trying to think of a, <laughs> Good of a pun I could use for diametric there, but I just, I realized four seconds into it that I had nothing. That's all right. You, you, you bailed at the right time, I think. <laughs> I uh, think so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm definitely diametrically opposed with with many people. Uh, not even going to go down that route. Let's see, see. It's tough, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like humor is diametrically opposed to using diametric. Sure. My, my brain <laughs> was like sort of shut down on that one. Um, <laughs> it's time for another sound effect. Wow. Diamide. And you can change the emphasis on this one. You can also say diamid diamid or mm. diamide noun from mm. 1866 this is a compound containing two amido groups or amido i have never seen that word before um i don't know what an amido or amido group is but there are two of them and that is why it has the di prefix at the beginning there mm. an amido or an amido sounds like a little character on like the nintendo switch online shop yeah, I mean, I don't have a switch, but I totally know what you're talking about. Um, Amido, it, it, it's like, oh, hi, I'm an Amido. Let's go play <laughs> exactly. a game. Let's exercise with sports. <laughs> yeah, get up, work on your balance. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of the Nintendo sports uh, games are like really kind of passive aggressive in how they talk to you. You know that like if I, I don't I haven't done one in a while, but like back on the Wii, like yeah. They had like Wii Sports and yep. like if you didn't activate it for like a week or two, like they were like, 
where have you been? Like, health is important. And it's like, thing, and then they would just get like more and more aggressive over time. They're like, it's time to prioritize your health. It's been 20 days since you opened. I'm like, all right, I get it. You're, you've crossed the point from being like a healthy instructor to nagging me about my health. And that doesn't make me feel good, we. Stand up, you fat ass. <laughs> get off the couch. I wish, I wish that You're somebody would- You're wasting your life. I wish that somebody would come up with a game that like actually was mean to you about that. <laughs> Maybe some people need that. There is an app actually. There is an app. I can't remember the name of it. I wish I could. I had it on my phone for a while. Um, and it, it's a family of apps actually. They have like, oh, what is it? They have a weather app. Um, oh. And, but like their most popular one was they had an exercise app. And like their whole, uh, the binding ethos across all the apps was that they like the AI was kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. So like when you'd be doing like exercises or stuff, it would be like just kind of making fun of you as you do them. Um, and and it, it worked best in the exercise app, but it was kind of fun like for the weather to. Was it the jerk. one, was it called like WT forecast or something like that? Dub, like WTF, but forecast. Uh, that's the one that I've seen where it, it, it's, it just talks about like, oh, it's so cold. Your nipples are going to break off or something like that. <laughs> it's ringing a bell. I don't know if that was the name of it, but it's in the ballpark. That's great. I love that something like that exists. Um, okay, next word. Ah, I had to change it up a little bit. This, I like that one. It's a riff. It, it's like jazz. Oh, that this podcast is all jazz. That's literally what it is. <laughs> uh, this word is diamine or diamine. So it's very similar to the last one. This is a noun also from 1866, and it is a compound containing two amino groups, not amido mm. with a D, amino with an N. So, I mean, I've heard that word more. Uh, my my knowledge of that level of sort of medical science chemistry things sort of breaks down at a certain level, but I've definitely heard of it. So we have diamide and diamine. Those are the those are the words that we just said. I love it. I mean, those are great words. Fantastic, especially to a certain group of people. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I will be honest. I've saved uh, I've saved all of, like all of my energy for diammonium phosphate. So, <laughs> hey, let's do okay. it. Sound effect time. That's the last one. Make it count. Okay, I'm gonna make this one. This one's gonna be more uh, sensual, and it's Ooh. gonna be more alluring. Okay. Yeah. So here it is. This is this is speaking of jazz. I'm gonna kind of see where this goes. I'm in the moment. Ooh, ah, ooh. Wonderful pitch, wonderful tone. The, it couldn't have been any better than that. I loved it. <laughs> the last word in this episode is, as he said, diammonium phosphate. Two words spelled D I A M. M-O-N-I-U-M. That's the first word. Second word is P-H-O-S-P-H-A-T-E. Noun from circa 1929. It is a white crystalline compound. I'll come back to that part. It is used especially as a fertilizer and as a fire retardant. So that means it's going to stop or slow fire. And the chemical structure, it's a little complicated... So we have, the first part is in parentheses, which is NH4, and there is a subscript 2, which means that there's two of that whole molecule thing, and then the second part is just HPO4. So, diammonium phosphate, if I were doing this by myself, I wouldn't really have a whole lot to say 
It's a fertilizer, so it's going to help things grow, but also can slow fire. But I'm going to guess that Michael might have some additional information for us today. A little bit. I did learn that diammonium phosphate is the world's most wise, widely used phosphorus fertilizer, mm. and that ammonium phosphate fertilizers became available in the 1960s, and diammonium phosphate, commonly known as DAP, quickly became the most popular in this product class, as it has a high nutrient content, specifically phosphorus and nitrogen, which is great for plants, and it has excellent physical properties. Now, a mixture of DAP with several other ingredients allows it to be spread around a forest to keep the forest from burning, and as a bonus, after the fire is prevented, the remaining DAP is used by the forest as a nutrient source. DAP, and this is part's really interesting, can also be added to wine to sustain yeast fermentation or to milk produce cheese cultures. This is an extremely versatile compound. Right? Is this I know. this Go ahead. No, no, you. <laughs> Usually I was going to say um when you think of fertilizer you think of uh crap, yeah. but this is anything but crap. It's actually quite useful. This is definitely not crap. Um is this and maybe you said it and I missed it. Is this the stuff that they will dump on a forest fire from a plane or is that different? That's a great question. It very well might be. Hmm. I I do know that it is used I I don't know how much it's used to put out fires once they've already started, but you can definitely put it in a forest um, that is in like the way of an incoming forest fire right. and it can prevent it from spreading. Gotcha. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's dumped from planes. I'd have to look into it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be water. I mean, I know that I've seen videos of like helicopters picking up water from like pools and stuff, but I feel like they use other chemicals to help stop forest fires too. So yeah, that's that's interesting. This is, this is a really, uh, really interesting compound that can be used for so many things. So we'll put a link in the show notes where, so people can learn more about it. If, if they are interested, they don't have to, they just can if they want. Yes, I mean, you could say that this word provides plenty of fertile ground. Ooh, he is full of them. Full of <laughs> not you could, crap. You could say I'm, exactly, I'm, I'm full of fertilizer. Yeah. M- the the not crap kind um okay so that was our last word we are going to quickly reread the words and then we have to pick a word of the episode and of course by we i mean just michael it's his turn because i do it all the time we had today dial tone dial up dialyzate dialyze dialysis dialyze dialyzer diam diamagnetic Diamante, diameter, diametric, diamide, diamine, and diammonium phosphate. Which one do you like? Or despise, I don't know. (laughs) It's a really close one between dial tone and dial up. And I think both of them are close to me because, as you mentioned earlier, they're a part of our childhoods. It makes me think of a time in which I had very few responsibilities and lots of happy memories. If I had to pick, I think uh, my gut wants to say dial up just because of the internet, but I think in terms of things that I learned, I would say Mm -hmm. dial tone. So I'm going to go with dial tone, although it was a close race and I would still recommend that everyone go to savethesounds.info, even though I have no affiliation with that website. It sounds like I do, but I'm just a big fan of old sounds. You mean they're not paying you every time you say the website name? <laughs> yeah, they're paying me in 56 kilobits of internet service, which uh, in 2022 doesn't go far. Nope, nope, not worth it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, yeah, dial tone, um, 
there's a lot of good information that you said. And um, yeah, it just sort of brings you back to your, your childhood if you are of a certain age, for sure. Absolutely. And you can tune a guitar to it. Yeah. Can you sing a song about dial tone or just sing the, the words dial tone? That's a great, yeah, that's a great point. Now, usually I'm a little bit tone deaf, but for you, Spencer, I will. Um, let's see here. Let me, let me think. You are dial tone um, deaf? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're picking up what I'm putting down. You're smelling what I'm cooking. Um, all right, dial tone. Dial tone uh, saw a song, a song about dial tones. Hmm, okay. Okay, hold on. Uh, when you're feeling kind of down and you need to call a friend, it's time to change your tone. Dial till the end. A dial tone is here to let you know to start. And if you listen long enough, it'll make its way right into your heart. That was wonderful. I was kind of hoping it would end with the word fart, but I think you took it in a better direction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was thinking about it. I mean, as I was scrambling to write the lyrics in my mind as I was going, I was like, I could go fart. But you know what? I'm going to go cheesy, you know, but I will say fart is appropriate, Spencer, because this podcast has been a real gas. Oh, yeah. That's a term, a phrase that a lot of young kids don't understand whatsoever. It's a gas. Uh, this <laughs> this was fantastic. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and um, and and bringing a, a wealth of knowledge to what would have been, you know, just a terrible, terribly uninteresting podcast. Um, so if uh, oh, where, shush it, Spencer. <laughs> where can people go to find your podcast if they want to contact you, find you, all those things? Sure. Um, so if you go to wherewegonext.fm, that's the website. Or if you just go to your favorite podcast player, really anywhere podcasts are listened to, you can just look for Where We Go Next. And that's the name of the podcast. It's a blue background with white letters. And if you want to email me, reach out. You can either hit me up on Instagram at WWGN podcast or where we go pod at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yes. And I do highly recommend that people go check it out because you are going to, you're going to learn a lot. Um, there's a whole lot of different topics. Um, and I've, um, your friend Jay, Jay Shapiro, is that his name? I started listening to one of the recent ones with him and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a f- fascinatingly deep conversation and my brain can't understand a lot of the words you guys are using but um yeah it's it's really really fascinating so uh go check out his podcast i really appreciate everybody listening to this one and um i'm sure i'm sure that you will uh hear michael on this show again someday in the future we'll we'll find some other good set of words to talk about and spencer can i ask you one more question before i let you go and you let me go (laughs) yeah go for it so as you said, you've done over 1,400 episodes of the podcast, or right? That's c- like Close to 1,400, uh, yeah. Close to 1,400, which is just such a huge accomplishment. I mean, it's become a daily part of your life for years, and you're still only in the deeds. So there's going to be thousands more episodes. I guess my question is, is in some ways, in ways unlike my own podcast, just because you're doing it so much, it's, it's almost like a relationship or like having a living thing. You know, it's like mm. my, my dog who's sitting right next to me, um, Charlie, adorable little Charlie. I've had him for four years, right? Hopefully if he lives long, he'll live to 15, right? Yeah. That's probably the length of your podcast. So I guess my question is, and maybe there's no way to to know right now, but I really want to ask anyway, what will you do once you reach the end of the dictionary and how do you think you'll feel? Oh boy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my, my early estimates were that this was going to take about 16 years. I'm I'm thinking that's going to be at least 18 years when it's all said and done. Um, maybe even longer, depending on how things go. Um, 
how how am I going to feel? What am I going to do? I'm going to I'm going to take a nap probably. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I think I'm going to be really emotional to be perfectly honest um, when I get to the end. I I have no idea how this is going to go, where this is going to lead to. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's going to be also it's probably going to be a huge weight lifted off my shoulders <laughs> just because like you said it is a, a daily a daily thing for me um i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna get to the end i'm gonna be a little relieved i'm gonna be a little sad um or a lot of both actually and um uh, and then you know i'm like okay what's the next project <laughs> where do we go from here what where do we go next hey nice tie-in yeah yeah i mean i i would imagine it's almost gonna feel not to get too dark but like like a kind of death in, yeah. a, in a way because it, it'll it's already so incorporated into your life like it's it's a daily task like going to the gym or reading a book or something I, I would um I would not be surprised if if after a week or two of of rest after finishing the dictionary you have a hankering for getting back into whatever you're going to podcast about because it's just going to be like an old friend that you miss you know yeah, and I've always got other things going on, like my wife and I are helping to produce a movie, and I have had have had another podcast, which I'd love to get back into if I ever have the time. And, um, you know, there's always creative projects that are popping in my mind, so I'm sure that there will be other things that sort of come and go in the meantime. Um, but yeah, I think when this is done, I'm going to need some other sort of bigger project to really sink my teeth into. Bigger than the dictionary. Now, well, that's ambitious. Maybe not bigger, but, you know, similarly <laughs> sized. Maybe not uh, 18 to 20 years long, though. Yeah, I can I can understand. I can understand that impulse. Well, Spencer, it's been really great being a guest on your show. I think you're doing something really fun and special here. And I think it's uniqueness and uh, the, idiosync the, the idiosyncratic nature of the podcast makes it something special. So, again, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a blast being a guest. I appreciate your kind words, and I, I think your podcast is fantastic, too. Um, and I'm definitely going to be listening to a lot more episodes because I, I just want to go learn some more stuff. That's what I've learned, is that I like learning. And this podcast and yours are definitely helping that. So thank you to Michael. Thank you to all the listeners, all 50 or 60 of them at this point. And until next time, this is Spencer dispensing information. Goodbye. <laughs>